Yama and welcome to No Role Models. My name is Kobe D. I first like to acknowledge that I'm recording this on unceded sovereign land of the Gadigal people of the Yoruba Nation and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Today's guest is Carly Stewart. She's someone that I believe is a great role model in our community. She's been a great role model in my life. Um, I've had the privilege of growing up with her since we were younger. Um, today she'll be talking about some of the struggles she's endured as a young Indigenous woman, um, some of the struggles she's just endured as in life in general. Um, she talks about the, the different support networks that she's had growing up. And, yeah, I hope you enjoy. Ain't nobody there to guide him in this copy what he's seen. Followed all the older kids, he turned into a fiend. So now I stop and think about my message to these teens. Ain't no role model here, just a brother with a dream. I just want to see a change. Now everybody's asking me to change. I'm just trying to take away the pain. Everything that I was taught was in this bottle. What we know is what we see and we ain't had no role model. We have a very special guest, Carly Stewart. How you going? Yeah, good. Good. Um, yeah, I guess we'll start off with who's your mob and where you're from. Yeah, I'm a Ewan woman from Nowra on the south coast of New South Wales. Um, I grew up down there. That's my mother and my grandmother's country. Um, and my grandfather, he's a Williams from around Rec Bay. Um, yeah, so I call the south coast home. Um, that's where I'm from. Um, I moved to Sydney when I was about 10 or just before I turned 10. Um, moved into South Coogee and lived there for about a year or so and then we moved down to Lexo at South Maroubra. Um, yeah, and I've lived on Bidjigal country ever since. I'm 24 now and, um, yeah, so I've been up, up in Sydney for the past 12 or so years. Um, yeah, home away from home. Yeah, mad. <laughs> so what, what are you doing at the moment? Do you, I know you work with WAVE. How did you get connected with WAVE? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a child, youth and family caseworker at WEAVE um, in the Creating Futures Justice Program. Um, I've been here since the beginning of 2019. Um, just started here just after I finished my um, social work degree at University of New South Wales. Um, yeah, so I'm still here doing that. Uh, I work with kids mainly between um, 12 and 17. So it's a really niche little age group. That's some hard work doing casework with that age group, but I enjoy it and it feels meaningful and it fills my life with purpose at this point. So, yeah. What do you think is so important for kids around that age to to have these services in their lives? Oh, I think it depends what, like, most of my clients are black. So, um, you know, I think there's a different level of um, support you need to provide black kids that you don't have to provide to kids that aren't black. Mm. Um, for me, the thing that I find most important is the relationship that you have with these kids. I shouldn't be calling them kids because they're not kids, but, mm. you know, just that age group, I think, for, for me, I think that the relationship's the most important thing. I think you can give them all the practical support in the world, but it doesn't mean anything unless you've got that good kind of um, relationship with them where you can give them that kind of therapeutic support um, that they need. But also just like... I don't know, I find that myself in this role having experienced a lot of the things that these young ones experience, it's um, sometimes just like being able to just listen to them and understand what the experience is like for them, what their lives are like and um, how it feels for them navigating the systems that they've got to navigate, um, you know, which is way more difficult for them than it is for other kids that aren't black, mm. I find. Um, so, yeah, I think that's one of, the, one of the most important things that I think about my role is that just like showing up day in, day out, Giving them, giving them the space to talk without being judged, without feeling like they're being judged for what their lives are like, not 
because of any fault of their own. Um, yeah, I think that's that's the most important part that I think. Other people might have a different opinion, but mm. that's what I feel like is meaningful in my job. Yeah. A hundred percent, because we grew up coming through Wave as well, mm. and like we understand how that is mm. for us and how much it, how important it was in our lives. Um, I guess uh, what I want to ask as well is, uh, what, what do you think your greatest struggles as being an Indigenous woman was growing up? <laughs> oh my God, there are so many. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I don't know. I think for me, we, we lived in a home where like we had my mum and she had a man there, but he wasn't like. We didn't consider him to be dad or to be like any kind of key kind of support in the home. It just felt a lot of the time like it was me and mum raising, you know, my brothers and sisters. Mm. We had – there were – mum's got six kids and at that time when we moved to Sydney and li- when we were living in Lexo, there was my mum in the house, me, my younger brother Trey, my younger brother Brayden and Taya and Amy, my two younger sisters who were like um, – and me most of the time. Yeah, <laughs> Kobe D most of the time. Um, yeah, and all the other kids in the community who came uh, through all the time. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the time the struggle was actually just being an, a parent when you just want to be a kid. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are obvious, obviously different struggles that come around from, you know, being black. Um, you know, it's way more difficult in the community as it is as opposed to not being black. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I just feel like there was a lot of extra pressure, um, you know, having to have that kind of – maternal role in the house and help mum look after the kids, still get myself off to school every day, still kind of, you know, be well-behaved enough that I wasn't getting suspended even though I was. Um, Yeah, I don't know. There's heaps of struggles growing up black. Mm. I feel like just even feeling like you're not allowed to be a part of society is is one of the biggest things because you always feel like you're on the back foot. You always feel like you're playing catch-up. Yeah. you know, and going to school, I always felt like I was ostracised or targeted for being black or, you know, having a single mum or having extra caring responsibilities that other kids didn't have. You know, like if you didn't do homework or you didn't do assessments or whatever, you were like ridiculed for it by your teachers at school who just didn't have any idea of what it felt like at home. Mm. Um, yeah, and I suppose I always just felt that extra level of responsibility that I think other young non-black people don't feel. Um but yeah, I think that was probably one of my biggest struggles. Mm. Yeah, we've we've all all that pressure and like all those struggles and stuff. What did you find most helpful for you to to manage all that? Where, where did you where did you really direct all that energy, or what 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 helped you get through those times? Yeah, um, I think I I felt quite like I had a lot of opportunity to engage mm. um, with different services, which um. You know, and Weave obviously is one of those services um, that showed up. Not not so much for me as a young person. I think I was just fell a little bit out of that age bracket. Um, but Braden and Trey especially, like, you know, you're best mates. Mm. You's, we're all hanging out together, going to Weave, going to Cool Kids Club. Um, I felt just a little bit outside of that age bracket to be going on the afternoon programs. But I was hanging out heaps at the shack at the time, mm. um, which obviously – you know, they're not around anymore in the same way that they were back then. Um, but they had that little centre down at Lexo and I used to – it was weird because I was a little bit too young for the shack. Like mm. they – I think they were like 13 and over but I was a little bit too young, um, too old for cool kids. Mm. So I was like lying about my age to get into the shack even though they knew <laughs> I was obviously <laughs> only 12 or whatever. Oh. Um, yeah, so I was lying about my age to get in and hang out there. But, um, yeah, I think like I had a lot of support 
in in the community that at that point in time I probably felt like I didn't. I mean, I know I felt like I didn't have support. I felt like it was just me and, you know, I was doing my own thing. But now looking back I can recognise the different people who kind of played key roles mm. to help look after us in the community. Like I feel like we always felt like we weren't being watched and like we were just running our own race and no one no one seen what we were doing. But, mm. yeah, so I feel like I, I was lucky in that sense to have a lot of those – take advantage of those opportunities to have those relationships with those people who, you know, felt like it was important to stick around in our communities. Mm. Um, yeah, and then, I mean, in terms of, like, redirecting my energy, I don't think I did. Yeah. <laughs> I think I kind of just <laughs> turned it all inwards. I was very angry. Yeah. Um, probably, you know, yeah, I probably could have done more. But I, you don't realise when you're young that yeah. you're angry and that you've taken your shit out on other people. You just like hundred percent. Yeah, but that's like what, what you were saying before too. We've like not really noticed and uh, not like because I, I knew I always had the support, like mm. always had weave and stuff. But when you're young, you don't even think of that shit. Yeah. you're, you're like oh, I'm, I'm doing this by myself. I don't have any help, and it's not until you get a bit older and you start realising like fuck, I've had all this yeah. support my whole life, and you just sort of take it for granted at the yeah. time. And that, yeah. that's that's what I think of going into like because. Because, like, I want to be able to help the youth and I want to be able to help the next generation. Mm. But I understand the mentality of, like, younger yeah, kids. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like sometimes they – I don't know. It's like, yeah, I just think of myself back then and I just mm. think, like, I was just so unaware of the support that, that we had. And um, it's like it's just trying to think of how do we tap into that and how do we sort of – yeah, I don't know. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I mean. But I feel like if that relationship's consistent mm. – um, because I don't think you can do anything differently. I think the people will perceive things the way they're going to perceive things, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and I know that from being young and stubborn, like fuck you, I don't care if you say you're here for me, I don't believe you anyways. You know, like yeah. that was the kind of mentality I had. Um, and I see that a lot in the young ones that I work with now. And I just think as long as you stay consistent and you make sure that you're showing up for them when they need you, mm. um, you know, I feel like that's all the work. You mm. know, and now we look back and I I can name. You know, ten people who I thought back then didn't have my backs and but my back, and now I look back and I see that mm. they did, and I feel really grateful. And I, like those are people that are gone; they've moved on now, and I'll never have an opportunity to tell them how thankful I am, or mm. you know, whatever. But it's it, it was about that consistency. You know, they showed up day in, day out. We were never too hard. You know, the answer was never no. It was always you know, we'll see what we can do to make things work. Or mm. you know, I feel like we always had services at our front door. Mm. You know talking to mum, I remember Deb who was the program manager of Cool Kids at the time, Cool Kids started out there at, and, you know, when we started hanging out at Cool Kids mm. um, and she used to come over in the afternoons, like drop train Braden home from school and she would just sit and talk to mum for, you know, sometimes an hour or so out the front yard and um, you, you didn't. Re- I didn't realise it at the time how important that was. I used to be like, fucking hell, mum, come inside and cook dinner, we're starving. <laughs> we just got back from a surfing program and haven't eaten in six hours and <laughs> – and um, mum would be just standing out the front yarn and Deb. Uh. Um, but now that I look back, I realise that level of support because I think like mum probably felt like she didn't really have, you know, many people and she had two young kids, two young babies at home, um, you know, so I feel like that gave her the opportunity to talk as well. Like they're, they're the things that you don't realise when you're young and you can look back mm. now and be like, oh, yeah, I see how important that was back then. Mm. But uh, it's hindsight, you know. 100%. Like, and that's, that's, that's the thing like – I love about Weave. Like, we, we've been doing mm. this since we was younger. Now, look, like, you're here working here. Mm. I'm doing some work here. Like, it's like 
they practically watched us grow up. They did watch yeah. us grow up yeah. since we were kids. And you know, like and like what you're saying with our like how Deb used to, you know, um, talk to your mum for ages and stuff, and they were so engaged with us. Mm. Like, yeah, there was so many workers that they they were just there for such like important times in my life, especially growing up without a father and like some yeah. of the, the male workers that were coming through, like yeah. Jono and Matt and stuff. And um, yeah, like I remember just even with Matt Cogan, I remember just would sit sit in the car and he just like asked me about life and stuff. And it was yeah. like, it was different. And yeah, um, yeah I, I guess it, it helped a lot with me growing up as a man. And um, yeah, it's just, that's why I, I think like services like Weave and stuff is just so important for 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 young young youth mm. like growing up yeah yeah well i think like the difference is as well right is that we've i, f- I feel like we just do it right i mm. don't know what it is that differentiates us from like other services mm. but i feel like what we do here and and the like capacities of our staff even like our non-black staff to the way that they work in community and you know there's always just this we, we talk about the magic of weave and it's kind of for me i just I can never name exactly what it is, but it always feels like we're just doing something right. And maybe it is just about like the value we place on human relationships and, you know, the healing properties of those relationships, the way that, um, you know, we approach them and, and the way that we do the work. I don't know. It just feels different and, and meaningful and impactful. Mm. I don't know one person who's had, who's had like long-term interaction with Weave and, and hasn't turned around at the end of the day and been like, oh, yeah, that's that was the difference for me, you know. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I feel like we do really important stuff and we have done for since the beginning of Cool, cool Kids mm. up until now and, you know, I think that will continue on as well. Yeah, for sure. There, there is something I wanted to ask you about before because uh, I don't know if you <laughs> wanted to bring it up or nothing, but I, I, I think you do channel a lot of um, – a lot of stuff through your, your painting because like yeah. you're a very good artist. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And like, yeah, I guess uh, how did you how did you start with that? Uh, <laughs> Mum actually had this this man who um, she was with for a little while, and he used to paint at home. This this would have been right before I'd I'd left home. So I left home when I was twelve, and, and just before that point in time, he he was hanging around and he was painting in the house. And one day he showed me how to do this painting. I still remember it vividly. I can picture this painting in my head. It was um, he said, "Oh, just like paint whatever you feel," you know. And for me, um, there was heaps going on in my life at that time, and I I, remember I was spending like every day down by the beach. Um, and I think like we were very lucky to live in like so like so close to the beach and I was able to go there every day and have that, you know, because the ocean's healing That's and and that's reflected in a lot of my artwork actually just like how nice it feels and how healing it feels to be by the ocean and, and in the ocean and um, that's what I painted. I painted these little turtles um, and, and seaweed and whatever, just like an ocean picture. Mm. And I kind of felt, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Like I was good with the paintbrush and good at good at doing lines and whatever. At that point in time I wasn't doing like dot work or anything like that. It was just, you know, I just like had this vision in my head that I wanted to get out, which was like something that, I don't know, at that point in time it made me feel really grounded just mm. doing this, painting this painting of the ocean and these turtles, which I don't know, I've always felt like, they're just calming, right? You look at turtles and you're like, they're oh, just turtles beautiful. Turtles are my favourite animals. Yeah. You remember my turtles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're the best. Yeah, um, yeah so I started then um, and, yeah, I just painted on and off. And then when I moved into my own spot, I think I would have been like 15 turning 16 and I was living on my own in this two-bedroom apartment. I literally was so scared to live by myself. I used to just shut the door in my bedroom and I used to sit in the bedroom for like – 
I'd get home at six o'clock in the Arvo after school. I'd just stretch it out until as late as I could before, you know, I knew, oh, everyone else is going to be out getting into trouble, but I'm going to go home because I don't want to be out getting into trouble and I know I've got school tomorrow. So, yeah, I would have been like 15, 16. I'd come home as late as I could before everyone else started going off the rails and I'd lock myself in my bedroom. I'd get a meat pie on the way home from school or like wherever I was coming from, that would be dinner. Mm. And then I'd lock myself in my bedroom, lock the door and I wouldn't leave again unless I had to go to the toilet because I was literally so scared of being in this house on my own. And I used to just sit in there and paint. So I ended up like having canvas upon canvas upon canvas of just paintings. And I used to just give them away to people because I felt like um, at that point in time, I didn't feel like I had the words to be able to express how like appreciative I was of the people around me that helped keep me um you know, like healthy and well um, considering the, my life circumstances at that point. So I was just painting as a way to show people that I was thankful mm. and, um, you know, I was giving them as gifts to people. And then I did it um, visual arts for my HSE and I had just the most amazing art teacher, Miss um, Robinson, and she was, she was just so like – I never like enjoyed school. I was always in trouble. I never went to a mainstream primary school – you know, I was always suspended in, in high school. I, don't, I honestly don't even know how it finished, but, you know, she, there was something about Miss um, Robinson. She just gave me the space to just express myself through art. And I think, um, you know, anyone who's an artist or in any kind of way, creative in any kind of way um, is really – and, I mean, you would know this. Like when you've got this creative energy, you're able to, like, channel it and channel whatever's going on in your life and whatever you're feeling into this kind of piece of work that um, – you know, and, and those kinds of things become really important. And I think she really understood how much I needed that. So she always gave me the space to paint. So I just spent, you know, I would leave maths or whatever and just be like walk over to the art room and just paint for hours and hours because, mm. you know, and, and all the teachers somehow just kind of let me do it. So, yeah, <laughs> just, and yeah and then I finished school and, and, you know, I just kept kind of kept kept painting and, and I'm still painting and I do it more as a way um, less now of like channeling my emotions and whatever energy I've got in me from whatever's happening in my life, more of a way of like it's kind of changed for me as I've grown, like my artwork and making art. I feel like now I sit in a space where I can really appreciate this talent that's been passed on to me, you know, from my old people and appreciate that this is, this is you know, something special and unique for me, mm. um, you know, this talent that I've got. Um, and I, I kind of want to use it as a way now to, to be able to show – white people what life's like for us to tell our stories and mm. you know to use this kind of art form to help pe- other people get it so yeah so I still paint as much as I can um but you know we've all got busy lives so I yeah. just yeah yeah and no, I so that's another thing like I see how you were saying before how you just you paint and you just give paintings away and stuff mm. and now you're getting to a point where someone's like you know how much this would be worth? Yeah. Like I remember sitting here and I think it was Daniel asked me, asked me, how much would you buy this for? I don't remember how much I said for, but you sort of, you don't realise like, because it's something that just comes naturally yeah. to you sort of thing. Yeah. It's like we do put a lot of work into our art and like we're very creative with it, but to us it's like we do this for fun or we, we do this because it means something to yeah. us. And then to put a price on it, it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 a, di- it's a different feeling. Like, yeah. But yeah, even what, with what you're saying, I was like, um, now you're looking at it different, like as mm-hmm. a way, like something that's been passed down by old people, uh, something that our people have been doing for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, so yeah. that's the same way I look at my music. It's like now I'm looking at it as like I've been given this this talent. Mm-hmm. I, I've been given the art, the art of storytelling. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, 
yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing to, to be able to be creative like that. And especially like I always wish I could have painted because it's like <laughs> you can see like whatever, I don't know, it's like sort of just a reflection of what's going on in you yeah. and you're able to, to paint that, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think it's, I think it's, yeah, I think it's beautiful. It's yeah, fine. but you do that with your work too. Yeah, yeah. You know, and people just have different different creative wavelengths. Mm, yeah. I wish I could rap but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess with with this show, like I, I call this podcast No Role Models because um, I just wanted to, to speak to people who I believe are good role models in our community mm. and um, that's why I wanted to get you on because like, exactly what, what you were talking before, like um, how like um, – Helping raise your, your brothers and sisters and stuff. I just think that you're such a strong woman, and I think it was only right that I did get you on this podcast. Oh, and um, yeah, I guess I guess the last question I want to ask you is how important uh, did you have any good role models growing up, and how important do you think it is that we do have at least one good role model in our life? Yeah, uh, I mean, I I think the role models are really important. Mm. Um, Obviously, I mm. mean, we all need to pull some kind of inspiration, some kind of groundings, you know, some kind of something from somewhere, um, especially like growing up black where you often feel like you don't have any role models or, you know, people in your community aren't aren't the best role models or, or maybe, yeah, you don't really have any in your community. But, um, you know, I, I think back to growing up and my role models are always my family. Mm. It's always, you know, my little brothers, it's my mum, it's my nan, um, you know, and 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 our old people, even though they're not there and they're not something you can be like look to because they're doing day-to-day practical things. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's really hard actually for me to pinpoint who who particular role models were for me growing up. Because mm. I always say this as well, like when when you're young and, and you feel like you've got nothing and nobody, you're not looking for role models. Yeah. You're not looking for someone to look towards. You're just like – you're just trying to get through. You're in survival mode, you know what I mean? So mm. – um, and maybe that's why I do think of my family as as being my key role models because they were the ones who were there every single day. They're you know they're the people you surround yourself with. Mm. Um, and and it's it's very rare that I go into my work and and think like day to day my casework. I would never think oh, I'm rocking up to to speak with this young person as somebody who could potentially be a role model. Like I don't view myself mm. as that. I think like it's up to other people to. Um, you know, like identify key people in their lives and, and they have the right to say who their leaders are or who their inspiration is or their role models. Um, mm. But, yeah, you know, like we didn't I, – I don't think we had people who were like massive role models in our lives growing up. Mm. I think it was just our family and, you know, those people in our community who we thought were important at the time. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think now when I think about role models, like we've got Daniel here in the room with us. He's one of my role models. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, Cobes, you know, like people who are, who are important to you and, and you find different inspirations and different things from different people. Um, something that I really like about Daniel, for example, is, is he one day we were sitting down at the beach and I've been working on this Aboriginal healing framework for Weave and Daniel's been kind of guiding me through it um, along with the rest of our black staff here at Weave. But Daniel and I were catching up for weekly meetings at one stage and we said it was going to be about – the healing framework, but we ended up just talking shit about everything else but the framework. But, you know, and Daniel one day said something about, you know, like it's it's never it's never going to be good enough for him to not know something. 
Mm. And I, those were his exact words, but we were talking about like the youth career court and he's like, oh, I didn't know how to do this. So I went and learned, you know, like it was never going to be good so enough that's, for me. That's one thing I know about Daniel. He knows everything. Yeah. <laughs> and like everything. Yeah. And not because he's a smart ass or like yeah. he wants to be a, no, a genius like, yeah. or whatever. Like, because like there's so many times when I've asked like your opinion on something and he's given me opinion and I've gone with that. Yeah. Like just because like I trust it. Yeah. Absolutely. Because yeah. like, the, the position, and this is why Daniel's one of my role models, is like we've got work to do. We don't have time to fuck around. Like mm. we're in the community and we're doing this not because we want to make ourselves look good or because we want to give ourselves on a back butt because it's literally life or death. And like mm. that's what I love about Daniel. It seems dramatic but it's like when you listen to him speak, you're like, fuck, yeah, that's actually true. Like mm. this is a difference. Me doing this work is a difference between a young kid going into custody or not, you know, the work yeah. that I do. And that's not about giving myself a pat on the back. It's literally the way that it is and that's the way the system has been designed that, you know, our kids end up in custody way more than any other kids mm. or, you know, all, so, yeah. I mean, when I went, like I said, when I think about role models now, there's different things you take from different people. Cobes, I'm just inspired by you and the way that you continue to show up. You continue to reinvent yourself. You know, you've got a little girl now and you're one of the best fathers I've ever seen, you know, and that's – we didn't have dads growing up, so mm. – you know, uh, like I feel inspired by that. And and when I have kids, I'm going to look towards you and say, see the way that you've had to reinvent yourself and begin on this healing journey that you want to be on for your baby, um, you know, and, and this is what we do for the kids in our lives, right, for our babies is what we do, mm. um, you know. So you find different kinds of inspirations in different people for different reasons at different times. Um, yeah, so I think like in, in that sense role models are important, Um but And they're around us everywhere. When we're ready to look for role models, when we're ready to be open for what other people have got to offer, um, yeah, I think I think they'll show themselves and, and, yeah, and we deserve that, I think. Like we deserve to look to other people and say, yeah, I really like the way that this person does this or, you know, this person said something that's really impactful and whatever. But you've got to be open to it. Like you can't I, – I just don't think that it can happen when you're in that survival mode because you're literally fighting like – Mm. you're not open to what other people have got to offer. You're just like, nah, fuck this. I've got to do what I've got to do to get through today. Mm. But, yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I, I really appreciate you coming in. Um, yeah, this is this is the first podcast that I've done and, yeah, it was, yeah, well, it was really good to have you in today. No, thanks so, for having me. No worries. Thank you. Good. What else do I sign off? <laughs> it's, it's Kobe D, Carly Stewart signing off.